This podcast is brought to you by BetUS.com. Welcome to another edition of the A-List Podcast. I am the host, Atron Blakely, with the co-host, with the most, Kwani A. Lunas. And you know why I'm excited to see you, Kwani? Why? Because I'm ex- because it means that you are no longer trying to park your car. You know where I was? <laughs> On Newberry Street, too. But the the problem is, I wasn't trying to park my car. I know I can park well, so I wasn't intimidated. That's not what what the word on the street is, Kwani. That's not what I heard on the street. You don't even know the full story. Clue me in, sister girl. Clue me in. All right. So I'm I'm pulling up on Newberry Street. There's a spot that is very small, but I know how I park, and I know I can fit into the spot. So this girl and her friend are driving by, and unsolicited, she's like, you're never going to fit in that. And then she drives away. That's the last thing Courtney need to hear. And I was like, I already knew I was, but just because she said it, I was like, I'm really about to pull into this spot. So I, I get in there. I perfect. And the thing about the car in front of me, they had those, I think it was like a bike rack. So mm-hmm. it made it even harder to maneuver, but I perfectly fit into the spot. There was a family standing there next to, like behind me. They're, They're all cheering you on, They're all. cheering you on. No, they were, I think the dad was like doubting me as well. So he's looking like this. And then the daughter's like, and then the moment I st- like parked the car f- properly, like I was done parked, the whole family, like just their jaw dropped and they turned around and they walked away. And then like two minutes later, some, I guess the girl's still looking for parking. Her and her friend drive back by me and I hear her audibly yell, oh, expletive like in shock and then her friend and I look up because I'm like who's saying that I look up it's the same girl and her friend's like and I was like I don't need your applause I didn't ask for this I was minding my business parking and all of y'all felt the need to make this into a show if everyone had minded their business we would have been fine but I'm glad yeah, I was able to prove everyone wrong by parking well, really well shout out to my dad who taught me how to park and drive shout out to pops <laughs> who learned turning that I pride in it nice <laughs> Well, sometimes people need business to get into that ain't they own. At least they feel they need to. You know what? I'll give them that. Yeah. Well, look, I, I'm I'm going to just jump right into the to, the to the deep end of the pool here. Uh, okay. Usually this time of year, there's not a ton going on. But fortunately, fortunately <laughs> the Naismith Hall of Fame is having its latest incarnation of amazingly awesome basketball players, coaches, mm-hmm. et cetera. And we all know what that means. Somebody from the Boston Celtics is getting in every <laughs> single year. Every year, there's always like clockwork. Exactly like clockwork. And this year, they we have two Celtics going in. One is a familiar face to the Hall of Fame. The other one, not so much. And I'm speaking specifically about our good friend Paul, the Truth, Mister Truth <laughs> Pierce, who is going. Can I say, where, where, where can we begin with with the truth? Because there's so there's so many different lanes you can drive into. There's so much. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start with the Sports Illustrated story that he perfect, had. Perfect, perfect uh, beginning. <laughs> good, good friend of the program, Chris Mannix, uh, with, with Sports Illustrated, had a good good piece on a good friend, Paul Pierce, who mm-hmm. uh, spilled a little tea on a lot of tea. Uh, how things went down with 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 S with uh with, with ESPN mm-hmm. and um. So, there's so much to unpack, but I, I, I want to. The one thing I want to talk about, really, just right off the jump, was him basically saying that you know what, 
that just wasn't a good fit for me. Uh, being there, the things they needed me to do, that it just wasn't a good fit. And I'm just curious, Quinny, what what what's what's your take on Paul Pierce and the ESPN relationship, which went sour real quick? Well, one word to sum it all up would definitely be unapologetic, because that's exactly what that Sports Illustrated feature was. But to your point, it did seem as though when he went on that Instagram live. He did not care about anything or any repercussions to the point where it all makes sense now reading that article because his relationship with ESPN clearly had soured to the point where he literally was like, I don't need this job. I don't care to do this job. I don't want to talk about LeBron, which is the quote that stood out to me. He said, all we do is talk about LeBron. So I understand for him, it wasn't a good fit. I'm glad that you know, hopefully it was an amicable split between him and ESPN. But it's actually really funny with his nickname being the truth that he was okay with spilling all of the truth about why it ended the way it did. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. But the one thing I have to remind our our, our listeners to, and, and those who are watching us, mm-hmm. is that Paul Pierce, you know, 10-time All-Star, mm-hmm. one of the all-time great scores in Boston Celtics history, who, by the way, and we're not talking about like endorsements. We're talking about base salary made one hundred and ninety five million dollars. So when he says that he really didn't need that job at ESPN, right? He can literally. And that's why when, when I when I see things go bad with athletes and networks, networks need to be scared a little bit because these athletes have the kind of wealth where one they don't need your job to pay they the bills. Make their own companies. They are making their own companies. Exactly. Real entertainment and uninterrupted players tribune. <laughs> exactly. And so it becomes, and so I was waiting for this day where Paul Pierce would spill some of the tea on, right. on what happened. And, and, and the fact is, you know, there's at one point he talks about how his agent, you know, wanted him to kind of maybe smooth things over with ESPN and apologize. And Paul's like, nah, we good. <laughs> and they're like, well, what about your hall of fame? And, and this is what, and for me, I, like I, that, I know, yeah. I know where Paul, you know, and the, the LeBron stuff, that's sexy. But to me, my favorite part in the story was he was basically like, look, you got guys in, in the Hall of Fame who did cocaine. You got guys yep. who, who beat on who, domestic abuse. And yep. y'all tripping over something that I did that was legal? I didn't break any laws. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't harm anyone in the, the viewing or taping of that particular yep. episode. Yep. And I said, you know what? That's the truth right there. Yeah. And it would be the biggest snub, as he mentioned, if he didn't get in. Right. And you don't have to (laughs) like what you saw. In fact, you don't have to watch it. As soon as you see it, come on, you can flip the channel. You can turn your computer off. But he didn't. He's right. He didn't break any laws. Now, did I want to see that? No. Uh, Because, again, seeing grown-ass men walking around smoking cigars while women shaking their titty titties and all that other stuff around. Not. (laughs) Once upon a time, it may have been really appealing. But. As you, you know, I'm thinking about because Paul and I age wise aren't that far apart, and I'm thinking yeah. I don't see the huge appeal in it. But look, to each his own. I get that, and I understand that. Um, but I love the fact that Paul was so incredibly and amazingly awesome and keeping it 100 about mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to apologize to them. No, this ain't going to affect me getting into the Hall of Fame, and I didn't break any laws. Uh, and you know, I didn't break any laws, which right, it, you know, it. But the thing that Paul you know, just frankly, just kind of disregarded was that there's the law and then there's the court of public opinion. 
And for ESPN, Disney, that's just not a good look. But I will mm-hmm. say this. In Paul's defense, it's clear that Disney is not quite as homey and wholesome as we have come to expect them to be in the past. And to me, there's no when you look at gambling for something, something that for the mm-hmm. longest time, a lot of media companies and entities kind of really, you know, kind of shunned themselves away from because they felt that it would compromise the game, the integrity of the game, all that. And yet, lo and behold, you know, you'll, you'll see stories now where Disney is embracing the idea of sports betting. Uh, and, and to me, it comes back to one thing and one thing only. And Paul knows this and you know this and so do I. Money. There's money to be made there. And when you have an opportunity to create a different kind of revenue stream than the ones that you have, and the ones that you have are slowly but surely, not I wouldn't say drying up, but they're not nearly as bountiful and fruitful and flowing as they've been in the past, you're going to look for ways, other ways to make money. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a living testimony to looking for ways to make more money. Yeah, I just got another job, y'all. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to you a little bit later in the show. Um, so I'm all about creating a multiple revenue streams of income which is what Disney is doing. And that's why, you know, for me, there's a bit of hypocrisy in how things went down with Paul. When you look at them trying to basically get their get their money game on, uh, and they're, to some extent, compromising would have been long standards of just morality. And yet you want to get rid of Paul because he's not conducting himself to the moral code that you believe he yeah. should. Even though, I mean, that video, gambling, it's a matter of which which is more acceptable in today's society. And, and frankly, yeah. I, I think there's a there's a, a an argument can be made that both are acceptable. But but again, I made 195 million dollars. Do you seriously think I'm going to be tripping over a job? I mean, I, at best, Paul was making maybe low seven figures, which for you and I is a big deal. Right. If I made 195 million. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be sweating that either. Wasn't for a job you already weren't too big on to begin with. Right. I mean. You know, just talking with different athletes who've gone into the media game, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of the, a lot of them, it's not so much trying to get paid. It's just trying something different to stay connected with the game. Mm-hmm. And if they can't do it in that role, then there's always coaching because the best players mm-hmm. are usually the wisest players. Uh, mm-hmm. I look at a guy like Vince Carter. If he didn't, uh, you know, cut it doing broadcasts or he didn't have as much rope to get better and grow, He'd probably go into coaching and there'd be a ton of teams that would love to have a guy like that. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm, you know, Paul, when I first saw the video, I'm thinking like, damn, Paul. But the more I thought about it and the more I, I kind of gave the idea that you've got this company that's trying to flex its morality muscles mm-hmm. at a time when they're laxing those same morality muscles elsewhere when it comes to putting paper in their pocket. You know, I, I'm feeling the truth on this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There was some really good stuff too in that story. Um, yeah. Um, oh, I know. When he was talk when he was talking about just arguing with Doc Rivers, which we knew they did. Yes, yes. All made it sound like it was like, yo, we had arguments, arguments. This isn't like, you know, where you know grandpa says something that you don't like and you mumble something under your breath. Right. Grandpa asks you to speak up and you don't say nothing. You'd be like, we good, we good. <laughs> no, this is like, you know, you know. Baby uncle, I mean, young, talk you, back. Yeah, your mama's baby brother, and you have like real beef because y'all close in age, so you can go at him a little bit differently than you can uh-huh. go at grandpa. It seemed like it was that kind of real beef, and mm-hmm. and I guess for me, it was refreshing to hear. I mean, I know some people it probably made them like, oh, why they gotta argue like that? I kind of like to hear that stuff uh, because for me, 
that's real. I mean, that's when you talk about like having a team being like a family. I can't speak for anybody feeling but my own, but we go at it. Right. We go at it. We yell, we yell, we scream, we cuss. Sometimes it may even get a little physical. Sometimes it it it, it just happens. I mean, <laughs> cousin popping his gums one time, two minutes, pop. Sorry, I still love you, but <laughs> you had good lesson. And I love to hear when when pro athletes talk about that because again, it remind it it reminds me of what a real family is like. And and when, yeah. when you have a real family situation, you gonna go through some stuff, right? To me, it's not about the journey of going through that stuff. It's how do you come out the other end? Are you mm-hmm. better off? And Paul, Doc, all those guys are better off for going through a lot of that drama that we Paul kind of shed a little bit more light on in this SI story. That's a good point. We always everyone sees the 08 championship, but you don't see the journey, the tears, the yelling, the cussing. It wasn't like, Ubuntu every day. Right. <laughs> exactly. It, Ubuntu every it was day. not always that Ubuntu. But there's another nugget in that article where he mentioned him and KG talking about athletes taking control of their own narratives, mm-hmm. potentially doing a podcast, traveling the world, and just Doing them, I need that podcast. I'm gonna tell you right now, Paul. I I, I did an interview with Paul uh, <laughs> maybe two or three years ago, and, okay. he, and after we we're done, we we're talking about that very that very point. And I said, Ooh. dude, do you know how many media companies would just be like, look, you talk yeah. about? I mean, we're talking about like backing the Brinks truck up, leaving the keys, and being like, just take, just take. We'll bring another you. truck if you need. Yeah, and if you need it, exactly, exactly. We got another truck on on call in case you need that one. That would be so amazing. Here's it has to happen. It has to happen. If those two did a podcast, who would you want to see as their first guest? Because they're going to be amazing together. But who would you want to see as their first guest? I know who I want to see. It's never going to happen. Come on, Kwan. This is wish list time. Come on. Ray now. Allen. See? See, Kwani, <laughs> you and I, for once... For twice are there. I would want to see. You know what I want to see, Kwani? But I, yes. I, I'll, I'll see you, Ray Allen, and top it with a Rondo and Ray Allen. Yes, that was my and second answer. That's that's what I want to see. I want to see them hosting and then have all four of them actually on one podcast. Not exactly. even yes, absolutely. I can't no. I can't deal with that on a regular basis. That has to be a one offer. I can right. deal with Paul and and KG on a regular, but give me Rondo and Ray for that. The first internet time. would actually break. The internet would break. Beyonce did it once, but this would be the second time. That would be the ultimate podcast of all podcasts. Whatever the metrics that they're using to rate, you know, audience engagement, their podcast would break that record without question. Uh, Honestly, they need to just do it. Just do it. If they could, listen, if they could get them to, and you know, here's the cool thing about podcasting in this day and age, as we both know, you can have four people together without being in the same room. True. You can literally make this happen and not have to worry about Ray and Rondo scrapping with each other or KG getting sick and tired of Ray or Ray getting sick and tired of KG. Right, someone, just, yeah. Although, not going to lie, I would prefer to see them all in the same room. I would so that'd, be better. that'd be better, yeah. It would be better from a content standpoint and it would be better from a potential chaos and mayhem standpoint because you know all it takes is the wrong noun, verbs, and adjectives to leave somebody's lips. That's why Chuck and Shaq on TNT make such great television because they're always going to be arguing about something. (laughs) And the thing about it is that 
whatever they're arguing about, it's not that big a deal. But it they really is never deal. important. <laughs> and and you find yourself as 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 someone watching this this train wreck, you're picking a side. Like you know what, man? What, what he's saying, right? Oh, this time. Yes, that's that's nonsense. You <laughs> right, KG. You right. Or KG, man, you need to get out your feelings, man. Ray, Ray, Ray did what Ray had to do. Come on, what? what? I want to see. I would that. love to produce this segment. I look, Kwani. I want <laughs> nothing to do with the segment other than to be in the room when it's going no, down. No, we got it has to happen. Because low key, I would potentially be that dude that's be like, dang, Ray, you gonna let him talk to you like that? That's why it'd be perfect. We got Sharad the instigator. Rondo, what are you doing? Rondo, come on, man. You you go what well, Rondo? Are you gonna seriously let that slide? Did that really happen, Rondo? Check him on that fact. <laughs> I need that in my life. Good. That but you know what though? As we as we kind of kind of drift back out of dream world because that's that's okay. reality reality check. Uh, you you brought this up a little bit earlier. I did. I can't remember who, but about LeBron. Yeah. And just you can't talk about LeBron apparently on easy or or actually just the opposite. You, you have to talk LeBron. Yeah. about LeBron. And um, how much? I mean, I mean seriously, how much do you think that that's that's real or is that just Paul Pierce hating on LeBron because as we know, Paul Pierce and LeBron are not exactly BFFs. I I was thinking about that when I read it because. He could have definitely been exaggerating the truth, but I want to imagine that in production meetings, LeBron does come up often. Oh, yeah. It also has to be that level of maybe it's just me giving our industry a little too much credit. There has to be a point where you don't think people want to listen to LeBron talk every single day. I, I mean, think, there are all people that do. I know that, but right, right. It, it gets I, exhausting. I, he probably is exhausted by his name being brought up every day, twenty four hours, on a regular. Like, give this man a break. <laughs> we yeah, get it. I, we get it. We we absolutely get it. And here's the thing: I, I think that there may have been a little bit exaggeration on Paul's part. I, I don't think it was a lot. Right. I I, I mean, I I know enough people within that organ that with that ESPN organization mm-hmm. to know that LeBron is a heavily talked about topic, and the reasons are obvious, and they go beyond just the fact that he's a hell of a player. He right. moves the needle. Yeah. He absolutely moves the digital needle for ESPN, for regional sports networks, for folks like me. When you bring LeBron James into the conversation, whether it's you actually audibly bringing him into it or you're writing about him, that is going to enhance the likelihood that people are going to check out what you're what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so I understand that. But to Paul's point, damn, how many times you, you got like you well to go right. to the well so much? Right. Uh, and, I, and I and I think that's where Paul's issue was. And I, I get that. And, and mm-hmm. but it's hard to put too much stock into what Paul's saying because we know how he feels about LeBron. Mm-hmm. He is, he's never been the least bit shy about letting folks know how he feels about LeBron. And you know what? I ex- I respect that pettiness about, about Paul. I've mm-hmm. always liked that Paul has had what to me, he's an elite player. He's one, and there's, there's no question in my mind, he deserves to go into the Hall of Fame. But if we right. were to create a separate wing of the NBA Hall of Fame for our all-time elite, great, petty players mm-hmm. first ballot because he can be so damn petty and i love that, I love yeah. that because that and, and the thing about the nba that people sometimes i think lose sight of is that the pettiness that some people want to bitch and moan and complain about that's kind of what makes this thing exciting that's kind right. of what people keep you drawn to the league i mean when you think about like a guy like joel Embiid, uh and think about how petty he can be sometimes about 
not getting foul calls or why is everyone saying I shoot too damn much when in fact I shoot too damn much. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and even and and you know he took him and Doc Rivers frankly and I don't, I think Doc it was unintentional but but Joel it was 100% intentional. Throwing Ben Simmons under the bus the way he yeah. did after their very last game of the season was like vintage Joel and beat and I freaking mm-hmm. Because it gave you something to talk about beyond the game. And that's, to me, that's where the NBA sets itself apart from a lot of other leagues. They have the ability with the level of pettiness that their great <laughs> and not-so-great players have, mm-hmm. able to draw in the casual fan. Because the casual mm-hmm. fan, you know what they want. They want to yeah. They want, exactly. So I am, I love Paul Pierce. I, I love absolutely everything about the truth. Uh, <laughs> everything about the truth. Everything about the truth. And you know what else I love? Uh, tell us. I love <laughs> our sponsor, BetUS.com. This is Ace Rob. I'd be here to tell you about my favorites. Football is and it's time to get in on the action. I endorse one sports book, and that is BetUS.com. Why do you ask? Because BetUS has been America's favorite sports book for over 25 years. That's around the time that Kwani was born, plus or minus five years. Wow. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity, and you need to know that you're going to get paid. That's what we all want. We were talking earlier about multiple streams and revenue. This is another one. You need a sports book that offers everything, including live betting, MMA, golf, horse, esports, and all kinds of crazy prop bets to, that you can only imagine and think of. And they'll walk you through the setup process. Nobody in the industry gives you bigger bonuses than BetUS. Join now and check out our offers, and you can get up to 200% in bonuses on your first deposit. Nobody beats that. I bet at BetUS, and so should you. That's BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. And don't forget to enter the promo code BSJ when you sign up at BetUS.com for a special bonus. BetUS.com, where the games begin. When you talk about beginnings and you talk about the NBA. I know where you're going. I like this. This is good. It's hard to talk about the league and its beginnings without talking about the great Bill Russell. Brother Bill. Brother Bill. I'm not talking about the cartoon character, Brother Bill. I'm talking about Bill Russell. <laughs> Bill yeah. Russell. The, I mean, it, it, the honors just keep rolling in for this dude. I mean, all the championship wins that you can think of, you know, Jersey retired in pretty much any any building he's walked he's into. Walk, yeah. And now he's doubled up with being – he's going to be in uh, – part of the 2021 Naismith Hall of Fame class, going in as a coach, uh, one of five men who have been inducted as both a player and a coach. And as mm-hmm. it turns out, Shocker Kwani, most of them are Celtics. Celtic, yeah. Three of the five, three of the five are, are Celtics. Bill Sharman, our late, great, good friend, Tommy Heinsohn, and now Bill Russell. Um, it's hard to, to, to really get into what his impact has been on, on just this organization. But I'm just curious your thoughts. I mean, someone who went to school here in Boston, you, I mean, pretty much the time you, you landed here uh, in Boston, you knew about Bill Russell. And even before that, you probably knew about yeah, Bill Russell. Right. Well, just being being around here, Quentin, what, I mean, what kind of impact do you think he's had on, on just the Celtics, the city, uh, and, and just, you know, obviously basketball, but beyond basketball too? 
Well, for one, I'm we talk about him getting all his kudos. I'm glad he's getting his kudos while he can be alive to acknowledge it because get that man in his flowers while he can still yes, smell him. exactly. Because all too often it's after people pass where you're like, oh, by the way, this is what they did for the game. And to your point, him being the first black coach in the NBA and really being a part of the storied franchise that is the Celtics and them being a catapult for getting more black men in the league. I think that speaks for itself and for him to have endured things he probably hasn't even spoken about still being a trailblazer in that sense. I just admire him as a coach, as you said, as a player and just as a role model when it comes to being an example, a a visual example of what it means to be a trailblazer, to do something that you're told you shouldn't be doing and continuing despite and being successful as well. So kudos to Bill Russell. My favorite meme is him sticking his middle finger up. That's the best one. It's it's funny because it's like so pure in the way that he does it, where it's like, it's not even a bad thing that he's doing it. <laughs> no, it, it's it's such a Bill Russell thing to do. Right, uh, the smile the, too. <laughs> yeah, the meme is, is probably my number one. And the second is, is just a real broad general, whenever that man's laugh, whenever he laughs, it's yeah. hard for you not to laugh. It's, it's contagious like that. Uh, but the thing about Bill Russell, the coach is that, and, and again, this is, it, you're never going to do true justice to what this man has meant to the game and really to society. Uh, this, this is this is someone who is a very active and vocal leader in the social justice movement of the, the you know, in the 60s. Uh, you know, this is someone who has been on the front lines with some with with athletes who actually utilize their voice and platform at a time when it didn't really work. They weren't expected to do that. It was something that there was a definite uh, there was a they were moved from a moral righteous standpoint in their minds on issues that many athletes would not speak about. But the thing about him as a coach, and I've talked with a number of of black coaches uh, through the years, and the one thing that they all tell you, and it's it's no different in in a lot of professions, is that there is a a low-key, below-the-radar pressure that they feel to be great, that I think everyone wants to be great, but when you're when you're a person of color or you're a woman and you're in a position where there are very few, if any, that look like you, think like you, have a similar background and upbringing to yourself, there's a different kind of pressure that you put on yourself that has very little to do with the outside world that drives you, motivates you in ways that it probably doesn't do many others. And the thing about Bill Russell that I thought was real interesting, because I've actually, uh, and I've got a piece coming out on Bleach Report that's looking at Bill Russell and his impact on black coaches today. Uh, well, the stories about black coaches today, the story will be coming out at some point between now and the Hall of Fame induction. Okay, but okay. the thing that I jumped that jumped out of me when I'm just doing the research was that you know Bill's first year, they didn't win a championship, and it snapped an eight-year string of Celtics titles. And so, your first time as a head coach. The first time anyone with with uh, you know undeniable melanin on the sideline, and you don't win it all at an organization where that's literally the standard of success. It's not making a good. Pl- it's that's it. To me, I was more impressed with what he did. 
the following year than at any point in his career. Because it is easy. It's it's one thing to get have an opportunity to be a black head coach. It's another thing to have setbacks and bounce back. Because that, to me, says more about who you are, what you're about, and what you're capable of than you having just a good year out the gates. And for him to bounce back and win not one but back-to-back championships for the Celtics as a player coach uh, said so much more about who he was than than any any statistic he could rack up. And mm-hmm. along those same lines, Kwani, um, there were others who followed. And... This is the thing, and this is one of those things that the NBA, as much as they get credit for their their efforts when it comes to diversity on lots of different fronts, I thought they failed black coaches early on in a bad way. When you look at the five coaches in the NBA that were black after Bill, of those five coaches, three of those five won championships. So if you throw Bill in a mix, four of the first six black coaches won a championship. That should just say, well, I could be wrong, but maybe yeah. we should start looking at, at, at trying to have more and more, you know, coaches uh, with that particular s- skill, that particular quality. Mm-hmm. Have a, give a shot. See what they can do. And, and, and don't get me wrong. There were some black coaches who absolutely sucked ass. I mean, there's some really bad ones. But, but there are really, white coaches really, that suck too. Like yeah, Exactly. And, and But the, the thing is, it's about opportunity. And right. it seemed as though black coaches were early on wanted to say, look, give us a shot and we can be successful. And four mm-hmm. of the first six did just that. Yeah. And yet it wasn't till several years later where we're seeing a somewhat decent number. And, you know, after, you know, you know, um, after Floyd's death back in May of, of last year, and we had this kind of racial reckoning, uh, it kind of trickled down into lots of different facets of society. And the NBA was no exception. Eight coaching openings, seven of which went to uh, men of, of color. Uh, and there were some women of color who were in the consideration as well, which to me, the fact that, that that's even part of the conversation now is progress. Not as much progress as I think we should make and can make, mm-hmm. but it's progress nonetheless. Uh, but the seven that are now uh, part of the coaching fraternity, that brings the total up to 13, which is one short of the most black head coaches there have been in the NBA. And, and again, as, as much as we, um, we look at them now, I think many of them often forget that Bill Russell was the first seed to, that planted this black coaching tree. And I know Doc Rivers, him, him and I, we've talked about this before, and, and he's talked about it publicly that he wouldn't be where he's at if it wasn't for Bill Russell. Yeah. There would be no Doc Rivers to coach if there wasn't a Bill Russell to coach. And, and you know, you know Udoka without a Bill Russell. That'd be exactly. no I mean, you start going down the line and, and and Bill to me, he's he's the he's the alpha. He's the mm-hmm. one that set all of this in, in motion. And um I still struggle with, with just kind of coming to grips as to why it took so many other coaches or excuse me, organizations so long to seriously consider black coaching candidates. Mm-hmm. Um I'm never going to really quite understand that and chalk it up to anything other than racism because there's really nothing else that just kind of rationalize why that is, particularly when you look at the start that black coaches had in the NBA in terms of wins and losses. And and of the other, I mentioned four of the first six won titles. Of the two that didn't, uh, Earl Lloyd was the first full-time coach mm-hmm. uh, of the Detroit Pistons uh, that was black. And he was not very good. Had His, his team struggled. They got rid of him, I think, like, maybe seven, eight games into his second year. Mm-hmm. And he was replaced by another black man, Ray Scott, who went on to win coach of the year 
while in Detroit. So you've got four one championships, one who got coach of the year, and the other became the first full-time black head coach in the league. So that would give you a feel that maybe, you know, maybe there's something we as, as an organization need to tap into. But uh, again, NBA teams, I, I think, have, have finally come around to the reality that um, it's about opportunity. And it's about giving folks who haven't had opportunities for reasons that have nothing to do with ability an opportunity to do the job at the highest level. And there will certainly be more coaches. And and I, I appreciate the fact that, look, uh, Lloyd Pierce, for example, in Atlanta, who got fired uh, during midseason, um, I had no problem with that fire. Um, his team was underachieving. Right. He should get fired. But yeah. He deserved the opportunity. Yes. to be a head coach based upon what he'd done. And with that opportunity comes the potential to get cut loose. So that's what so many coaches that I've spoken with have, have really stressed to me about just, it's about opportunity. You know, Monty Williams out in Phoenix, mm-hmm. uh, him, I've had conversations with him. And one of the things, in, and it, this is kind of one of those Monty moments. He said, I need to do a good job so that guys like Willie Green on my staff can have an opportunity to be a head coach. And lo and behold, Willie Green is the new head coach of the of the New Orleans Pelicans this year. So um, there is a definite uh, connectivity that, that black head coaches feel towards yeah. one another and trying to create opportunities for not only themselves, but for those to come after them. Yeah, exactly. The pipeline. Absolutely. Now, we've talked enough about coaches. Let's talk about some players. Okay, let's talk about some players we never talk about. Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to start with my good friend, Tremont Waters. Oh, Mr. Waters. I love Tremont. I miss Tremont. Yeah, already. <laughs> already. He signed a non-guaranteed deal with the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, he's he's trying to make that roster. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Tremont fan. I, I I just, his size is always going to be an issue for me. But um, right. what, do you think, what do you think his chances are of sticking with the Bucks, or frankly, sticking with an NBA team this year? I think to your point, unfortunately, it is the size when you look at this the way the game is played now, but the hustle that he has when Coach Stevens would put him in, that's it's unreal. Like you can see the hunger every time he's on the floor. So I imagine if not Milwaukee, another team I would think would keep him on the roster because he's a solid point guard that you want to have in the game if your starters aren't willing or ready to do so. And I think the hunger that he has is definitely going to translate with a team that's looking for that. On yeah, that. right. And he's still a young guy. I think he's like 20. Yeah, he's, yeah he has time to develop yeah. the game, get big, bulkier maybe. <laughs> I know he's still, you know. Well, the, the one thing about him, and and he, you know, he was a, a really, really good defensive player in college. And he certainly showed that, you know, with the Celtics. I remember when he was in SEC, he was SEC Defensive Player of the Year, which is kind of funny because so was Robert Williams the third in the SEC. Uh, but that's another story another day. We'll talk about Time Lord another time. All right. But the thing about Tremont is that I think he's a better player than we saw in Boston. And I think with him, uh, it's about finding the right situation and opportunity. Exactly. Yeah, people think about him as a guy that he's undersized and he's a decent playmaker, but I'm not really sure what else he can do. And yet you start looking at his numbers and you realize he shot better than 39% from three-point mm-hmm. range last year. He just didn't play in a lot of games. So it is a relatively small sample size. Mm-hmm. But – Nonetheless, it speaks to how, how this guy has basically made the most of the opportunities he got to play. I mean, yeah. he played, I think it was a 20, 26 games. He had three starts, shot 39.5% from three-point range, better than 90-plus percent free throw shooter, averaged two-plus assists, and he did that in, in you know, about nine minutes a game. So yeah. it's not like he wasn't somewhat effective 
when he was on the floor. He did some, he did a lot of positive things. And I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping he does stick because he really is, you know, one of one of the really good guys on this team. And uh again, I, I just I'm hoping that I see Traymond Waters in an NBA uniform, whether it's Milwaukee or somewhere else next. Um, some kind of guarantee. <laughs> we don't we don't do not guarantee. Right. I mean, I'm I'm hoping to get some guaranteed money. I would right. I would like to see him with a little guaranteed money. And you know who else I'd like to see with some guaranteed money? Yes. The man, the myth. Who are we talking about, Kwani? Taco Fall. Taco, Taco Fall. I tried to do that like with a LeBron voice because he does the taco. Tuesday. <laughs> I love me some taco. Yes. I do. Uh and we and Ashley, you know, pe- people probably don't remember this, but you and I spent a lot of time. We did. we did. We did. All Star Weekend in Chicago. We in fact, it was just that man. It was me, you, Taco, and his agent for a you long time. We were his groupies. We were just there all the time. <laughs> we were we were backstage, front stage. Mm-hmm. He did the cooking demo. Yeah. He could, obviously, everywhere he went, people saw him. It's not like he could duck out and hide. It was right. It was funny. <laughs> it was. I I enjoyed. It. I remember we did one like walk and talk interview, and you know, Taco's got a duck wherever he yeah. goes. We went. By backstage, that at, at, I can't remember the venue, and mm-hmm. I I had to duck. Yeah, and, thinking, and I remember at some point saying, "Damn, if I got a duck, Taco's got a damn to get on his knees to get." Yeah, this is point. We're walking down the stairs, I think, or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so I'm 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 really hoping that things work out for him in Cleveland. I mean, it's obviously you know they've got some bigs there. You got Kevin Love and, and a couple mm-hmm. other guys of of note, and it will be difficult for him to make that team. But uh, again, he's seven foot five every day. And yeah. I can speak with absolute confidence to say that Taco Fall was a much better player at the end of his time in Boston than he was when he arrived. He felt well, very much like a novelty uh, when he got here. And t- near, the, mm-hmm. near the end, it felt like he was just a young basketball player trying to find his way. Yeah, when the news broke, it was actually on a Taco Tuesday. I made a point to tweet that. But I also <laughs> added to of that course. thread. <laughs> but I made a note to point out the fact that despite the irony of him being so tall, when he was in Boston, he was hung- he also had that hunger I mentioned with Tremont Waters where he just wanted to get better. He knew that there were a lot of things that he needed to work on it- with his game, and he was always hungry to do so. Unfortunately, it got to a point where, like you mentioned, he just became, for some at least, I won't say everyone did this, but a spectacle in a sense. And it was always just about, oh, you're so tall. Well, obviously he knows he's tall. There's no reason to treat him that way. Like he's a human being that, you know, thinks and breathes just the way we do. And for him, he just wanted to play basketball. So I am glad that he's getting an opportunity in Cleveland, a city where hopefully he will get a little more playing time. And hopefully that can also translate into him getting a guarantee somewhere as well, because I think he has a passion for the game. The height's already there. Fortunately for him, when it comes to basketball, that's a very added bonus. So now he just needs to, to get those reps and really grow, continue to grow his game. Yeah, the big thing for him is to find a coaching staff that understands his value, appreciates his value, and will give him an opportunity to, to show that right. value. I don't yeah. think he had that in Boston, and I think part yeah. of that, a lot of that has to do with the fact that he played with better players. Yeah. Uh, he played with guys who've been around the block a few times, guys who have established roles, guys who can impact winning on a much more in-the-moment basis than he could. And mm-hmm. so he understood that there was a lot that he could learn. And, and I do think that he learned from, you know, the, you know, a lot of the guys in his cancer. Yeah. And, and, and they, they, they hung out a lot, even right. Tatum, obviously. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm sure everyone is hoping, you know, things work out well for Taco. I, I know mm-hmm. the Tatum and Jalen Browns of the world, they wouldn't mind jamming on him though. Not going to lie. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, that's, that's just how it is. I mean, when you that yeah. big, people are trying to like you're our brother, but not anymore because you're right. on another team now. <laughs> they got the sharpie. They got the sharpie at at, at courtside waiting for you to sign that poster. Uh-huh. They're trying to get they're trying to get that poster tonight. Right. Uh, but, but again, shout out to Taco Fall, man. I hope he does well in Cleveland. And speaking of doing well, last week we talked a little bit about our not so good friend. Kanye West. I don't know him that well. I can't really call him a friend. Like, that's a good friend. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I can't really call him a friend. He, he right. says I do, but you know, he's a little different, a little special. Yeah. And our other not so good friend. Um, also not so good. Friend. Yeah. Who also is having a pretty good week because both of them, you know, their their new music releases just absolutely killed it uh, mm-hmm. right out the gate. And we're talking about Kanye West, and we're talking about Drake. Wait, and, but we're not talking about Damian Lillard's album as well. What are we doing? I'm kidding. Listen. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm, I'm glad you brought Damian Lillard up. I, I don't know if you noticed or not, but he just got married. Yes, I did see and that. I'm going to tell you right now, I've been covering the NBA for a long time. That was the first time I've seen an athlete have a wedding mm-hmm. that I wish I was invited to. Oh, okay, okay. He had Snoop Dogg. Yeah. He Common. He even went back and, and pulled out the crates and brought out Tevin Campbell. I was I was shook. Oh, a minute. I was like, I hope I have this kind of wealth when I get married because for you to pull out the can we talk? I was, I'm a friend of mine who, who uh, I've known for a really long time, David Vanderpool. He's an assistant with the Brooklyn Nets. Okay. Uh, he, he actually, he, he went to school with, with my wife in St. Bonaventure and I've, I've known David a really long time. Good dude. And he's there at the, he used to be an assistant in Portland and he's like five rows back. And he's oh just, my God. You know what? This is the first time in life I've been jealous. Of like, I, That's the first time I've ever. And, I, and Dave is a good dude. Good dude. Yeah, yeah, he seems. Yeah, he needs to be a head coach. That's another story for another day. Yeah. But that was the first time I was lo- like low. He was a like jealous, I was literally. I'm <laughs> self jealous of him. Snoop Dogg. Oh, right. Then you pull out Tevin Campbell, and then I think he had um. I think he had the group called. I think they're called Next with the song. They had the song called Wifey. I think he had the least. I'm just like, I didn't that see that. Was, and, and shout out to my boy Chris Haynes, who was at the wedding. And, oh, he, and wasn't. he was there. And, and I'm, I love Chris Haynes. That's my dude. You know, that's my dude. But damn. He didn't need a post. I, I, was, I was really hating on him in that moment. I love him, <laughs> death, but I was hating that he was there and I wasn't. Right. Right. Um, but anyway. Oh, yeah. Back to the actual conversation. Back to the actual Kanye Drake conversation. Whew, uh, by the way, I, if one of those two would have been there, I would have been done. If yeah, you absolutely. Been there, I would have been done. Absolutely That's, done for that. Without a doubt. But Drake, Kanye, each got new new music out. Um, mm-hmm. Have you had a chance to listen to both? I have. Okay. And and the verdict is, if you if you had to put them both, if they're in the ring, and, they, and their, their music is going back and forth, back and forth, who's coming out both hands up. Kanye, but by a small margin. And I say that because I think more of Kanye's songs resonated with me than whatever Drake's project was. Well, here's my take. Um, I'm going to go with Drake on a split decision. And and here's why. Kanye was 
predictably unpredictable with his music. And yes. I thought, and the thing I, I always love about Kanye and respect about Kanye, even if I don't always like his music, is he's not afraid to try different types of, of music genre and, and, and craft a different narrative than you've seen before. And I have a lot of respect mm-hmm. for him as an artist because of that. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't feeling a lot of the songs on, on his, okay. yeah. his new playlist. Now, Drake is literally the other side of the coin. Right. He is so damn predictable. But here's the thing. Drake, he's predictable because he figured out this. He, he's like Greg Popovich in his bad boy. He yeah. Every year for the bulk of his career, he has a specific style that he has. Mm-hmm. And Greg Popovich, we call it Tim Duncan. Yeah. And it works. No matter yeah. what you, no matter what beats you put around it, no matter who's producing it's the fundamentals of Greg. He's got, like. the, he's got the fundamentals. And, 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 you know, shout out to Drake. You know, for he's now the music curator for the NFL this year, so he's gonna have, he's got his hands in, in that pool, that mm-hmm. pool of money as well. And he's a great marketing machine. I mean, I cannot dismiss the fact that the way he announced the features, having the billboard in New York that said the goat will be on Certified Lover Boy, or even in Nigeria where he had a billboard there as well for Temi. So it, it, he is a genius when it comes to marketing and. I just, I think for me, the music, it was literally just these songs themselves, but the whole execution is an A plus. That's why I said by a small margin, because that was just, I mean, the way it's already turned into a meme, just the way if you're reading this is too late, ended up being a meme as well. And the whole font that people capitalized off of, mm-hmm. he did his thing. I'm he not did. even mad at him for it, but. He did. And and the thing about him that I, I, I like is that a lot of his collab collabos are, with artists who have a very distinct style about yes, it. Like if you do a collaboration with Rick Ross, it's gonna have no, a no. <laughs> it's gonna have a to it. Right. And like he's got that one song, You Only Live Twice. And it's got, I think it's got Rick Ross, mm-hmm. Rick Ross, and there's someone else on there. Uh Lil Wayne, there we go. And oh, yeah. it's it's even though you know it's not for the faint of heart and folks right. who have issues with curse words, right. it ain't for you, mm-hmm. but it is for me. It's, the it's, man it's brought Kawhi Leonard story. into his music too, by the way. What's Kawhi that? Leonard was in his music video. If you could get that dude, you got Kawhi Leonard in way too sexy. Like that's the, but you know that's that's like the perfect like. I'm gonna listen to this music because because Kawhi, yeah, Kawhi Leonard, he got Kawhi exact Kawhi. That was my reaction. I was just like, damn, Kawhi Leonard is in this one, right? So. Yeah, I, I, I mean, Drake, I, I, like, like I said, I, I give Drake the slight edge just because, uh, again, I think his overall package is is a little bit better. But I, I love to me. Let's put it this way: if we were judging this on absolute execution, I go mm-hmm. with Drake. If we're talking yeah. about just c- concept and creativity and and just and things like of that nature, I'm going with Kanye because I think yeah. Kanye more time and effort into right. trying to be different, trying to innovate, yeah. trying to elevate his sound, his music that right. I don't think Drake does. And, and and if I'm Drake, I don't think I would either because- You don't need to mess up the formula. Yeah, I mean, he he has, and, and there was, someone was asking this question about who is the bigger deal in hip hop, Drake or Jay-Z? And that's oh. tough, that's tough because again, Jay-Z, when you look at just how he has been able to extend himself in so many different lanes of activity and engagement, whether it's music, non-music, there's a lot to be said for that. But when you talk about just coming out 
on top of the charts month after month after week after year you could make a very strong case that that drake drake's in that conversation mm-hmm. i think I, donovan I, mitchell I, had tweeted about it was a donovan mitchell one of the an nba player trey young trey young, Trae young Trae yes Trae young. donovan mitchell came at Trae young later but yes it was trey young that was like and then he got canceled because everybody was like how dare you say that against jay-z well, if you start thinking about when it, you think about it it's like it's not as ludicrous as it sounds and that's another guy who we ain't gonna get into but you know ludicrous it's not as crazy as it may appear to be uh if you give it a little bit of thought that's but, true but i mean full disclosure though i mean for me if, if if i got like one of the two that i can have in my playlist I'm taking and it's Jay-Z. the only one i'm taking jay-z yeah i'm taking Jay-Z. Because for me i'm all i'm all about like lyrical substance like right. like not to sound petty but like I really appreciate. Oh, you do petty on here. You know that. You do petty here, but yeah. I just really am about like, what are you writing? Like, what are your bars? What are you saying? And not to say Drake doesn't have bars, but Jay Z's bars are just on another level. Well, the thing, the thing that that Drake figures out real quick is that if I can get like two or three real good hooks, then I people will make a whole... caption out of it. <laughs> what the hell is that really about? What the hell is that really about? It was like it only means one thing. I don't know what it means. So what? That's the thing. He's good at putting like catchy bangers out. Like, okay, it's an earworm. And he's (laughs) smart. And he's smart about who he throws like low key shout outs to. Like, shout out to Steph Curry. I'm not gonna say Steph Curry. I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out to your wife. Yeah. Oh, Aisha. Yeah. In a very positive way, not disrespectful. That was a good idea. I wonder how she feels. That was a good. I like the way he did that. That was that was that was a very good way way to do that. Uh, and shout out to Sierra Canyon High School basketball team. Yeah, yeah. Is, again, just smart marketing, genius writing. Um, but, great collabs. Yeah, That's great collabs. Team, yeah. I'm taking Jay Z. Um, okay. And sorry, Kanye. We we just moved <laughs> past you like real quick. Um, but oh gosh. Well, Kwani, it's time for us to go. It is. It's time. But before we go, Kwani, what you got coming up on NBC Ten? Well, the hub today, I'm still on that show, and there's a segment that I will be a part of called I don't know what I'm supposed to well, it's called the local lowdown. Yes, and I will be exploring different neighborhoods, cities in Massachusetts, and we haven't like set down the date yet, but that'll be a recurring segment. So if you're looking for things to do in this state, I will be your go-to person because I am personally taking up the challenge of exploring different cities different neighborhoods in Boston and just getting the local lowdown. What's to do, what's to eat, where should you be going if you live or work in a specific area? Now that's <laughs> going to be very helpful to me, Kwani, because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm all about finding out new stuff. So there I'm, you looking go. Forward to I'm looking very forward to that. Okay. Uh, let me see. What do I <laughs> all right, you have a new job though. So yeah. Yes. Talk about yes. Uh, announced a little bit earlier that I will be, part of the new crew that uh, Facebook's bulletin.com is bringing in uh, as far as being a content creator. My focus will obviously be on the NBA. Uh, And you are more than welcome to subscribe to my newsletter. It's at fullcourtpress.bulletin.com. Fullcourtpress is one word, dot bulletin.com and i'll have a lot of nba content there uh my first piece is just kind of an introduction to to what basically you're going to see coming forward and also there's a story on 
Ben Wallace. Ooh. Uh, newest members of the Naismith Hall of Fame. And I kind of just kind of give you a, a little, little taste of what Ben Wallace's journey has been like. I covered him for years in, in Detroit, and I, I can tell you I am ecstatic that he's getting a, a chance to be among the all-time immortals. And in, in there, I, I kind of go through, again, his journey and, and just try to kill the fallacy that so many people have about Dennis Rodman is a better player than Ben. And that ain't true. Uh, it ain't. And if you want to come at me, by all means, subscribe to the newsletter, leave your comments, bring it. Fullcourtpress.bulletin.com. I'm here right now. I just subscribed. He is a lover of the NBA hoops, highlights, and all the nouns, verbs, and adjectives that make it happen. Boom. That's what I do. <laughs> That's the tagline. So go check it out. That's exciting. I'm, I'm excited about that. And obviously still doing stuff with Bleach Report. And as we were talking about earlier, I've got a piece on Bill Russell going into the Hall of Fame. That'll be on Bleach Report soon. And I'm uh, still doing stuff for, for ebony.com. Uh, In fact, there will be something on a guy that we talked a little bit earlier about, uh, Donovan Mitchell. I'll be doing something on him relatively soon as well. And has all the bags. You know what? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, Kwani, you know I always got a bag nearby. Always have a bag. <laughs> I have a bag, too. I got my makeup bag. Stay See. ready. Oh, it has an NHL See. on it. There we go. See. Shout out to the NHL I, for that gift. Shout out to the NHL and shout out to uh, my man, Joe Haggerty, who's also part of the... Uh, oh, yes, yes. Team. So him and our teammates once again. So, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, and again, I, I the, the big thing for me, Kwani, and, and we've, we've talked about this off, off camera before, but... For me, it's about just partnering up with people who just believe in my vision uh, and just understand and appreciate my value. Mm -hmm. And when this this is an opportunity for me to, to, to really create a lot of content on lots of different platforms, whether it's written word, audible, there, there will be some uh, just lots of different stuff, Facebook Live, IG Live type stuff that I'll be doing in the coming weeks and months. And, and again, it's, it's just an opportunity to really flex muscles uh, with a group that has my back. And as you know, it's hard to do this damn thing if you ain't got folks who got your back. Yes, so. it's not an easy industry, and it's not for the faint of heart. You have to no. really find people that are in your corner. Absolutely. Like you have Absolutely. been, and the A-list podcast listeners have been in our corner. There you go. <laughs> I think yes. we're done. We, we've talked <laughs> a lot. <laughs> this is what we do. This is what we do. And, you know, we'll, you know, we'll keep doing what we do as long as we can do it. Um, Change is, is inevitable, but, you know, we'll keep doing what we do. Uh, and you keep subscribing like you do yeah. and tuning in the way you do. Share this so. episode with a friend that loves Bill Russell or Drake or Kanye. Because we got it all. Yes. It's the it's the balance for us. Keisha, if you love me. Oh, my gosh. All right. On that note. <laughs> you used to call me on this album. For Aishara Blakely, I'm Kwani A. Lunas. Thank you for listening to the A-List podcast. That does not feature Drake or Kanye. No, we do not have the musical rights. 